Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Craig. And I'm Todd. And here we are with our second part of our two-week episode over Stephen King's It, the miniseries from 1990. Uh, Todd, I feel like there's good news and bad news this week. The good news is I kind of doubt that we're going to talk about this movie for an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The bad news is because it kind of (laughs) sucks. Oh, man, I hate it. I hate to uh, be too critical because I really do have very, very fond movies of this memory or of this movie. I don't remember if I said it last week. Uh, I may have. Uh, But this was kind of my go to sick day movie. Um, When I was a kid, anytime I was homesick from school, I would always pop this in. Uh, And as I was watching the second half uh, yesterday, I realized that it it really probably was a perfect sick day movie because I could watch the first half and really enjoy it and then just kind of sleep through the second half. Um, because in all honesty, uh, the second half is pretty darn boring. Like (laughs) nothing much really happens, uh, until the last 10 minutes or so, you know, some stuff happens and there's some good stuff in there. It's, it's not bad. It's not terrible, but, um, it's pretty slow paced and, uh, until you get to the end. And then frankly, the ending's uh, a pretty big letdown. Uh, and, and I think that everybody agrees about that. Even the actors and filmmakers realized that the ending just didn't work the way they wanted it to. And I think that it was because of budget constraints, you know, this was a made for TV movie and the fact that the ending of the book really is, is so cerebral and, and kind of out there that it's, it's really just difficult to translate to film in general and what they ended up with they, man they gave it the old college try um but uh in the end uh, i was left feeling a little disappointed what do you think now i have to say of the two um sections i actually thought that the second section was stronger i don't mean that it was good <laughs> I just mean that I felt like uh, there were aspects of it that I enjoyed more than the first half. Now, I'm not saying that I didn't think it was boring. I didn't say I'm not saying I didn't think it everything you said is true. Let me just put it that way. It didn't really move. There wasn't a lot going on and we still had more of that pennywise popping in but not really do anything doing anything to them. Yeah. Yeah. And when you've sat through, you know, an hour and a half of that before to then be hit with it for another hour and 20 minutes just for the grand finale at the end it gets really tedious but what i did like about this and maybe it's just because i've read the book more recently and so Mm -hmm. maybe my glasses are a little colored by uh, the fact that i was enjoying some of the aspects that they drew out in the film from the book and that is that i felt like since they got all of the necessary stuff out of the way from the beginning introducing us to the characters giving us a little bit of their backstory this second half had the luxury of pace in that it could take a little more time with some of these scenes. And I thought it was a little more artful, in a way. It still took us to flashbacks, to to fill in a little bit more of their childhood and some of these other memories that the kids had that weren't directly related to it or weren't um, directly related to their final battle with it. And to get the characters a little more fleshed out was nice. And, sure, and I also liked some of the the things that they did with them coming back into town. Uh, I thought that their encounters with it again in the town were kind of fun, but 
honestly, <laughs> here's the problem, and I think you just laid it out, is at the beginning of the movie, you get this lead up to this grand battle. We've got to defeat this it. And then at the end of that, they think they've defeated it. But we know that they haven't. Right. So the whole purpose is they've got to come back and fight it. So you've really kind of blown your load right there, right? <laughs> like, yeah. come back, now let's get to the fight. But we don't get that right away, right? We get all of this uh, exploring the town, having a bunch of discussion. Are we going to fight it? Aren't we going to fight it? Gearing ourselves up to fight it, but not even in a very exciting way. So that, uh, yeah, you just have to sit through, you know, if you're watching on TV with commercials, almost two hours of all of this back and forth before what you were expecting, which is get down there and fight the monster already. Yeah, and and you've got some pretty strong actors there. I mean, these are people who were not hugely famous. They weren't huge names, but they were, at the time, very, very familiar faces. You know, Richard Thomas as Bill, as I mentioned, from uh, he was from the the Waltons. Uh, Annette O'Toole as Beverly, who I remember when I was younger – kind of having a crush on i don't know she seemed pretty cool this time around i i ran a little bit colder with her i I, i'm not sure exactly why you know john ritter uh famous for three's company and and lots of other tv stuff harry anderson as richie harry anderson was the the judge the main judge on night court he's doing his best to really be the funny guy in in this in this half of the movie that's a good way of putting it that's a good way of putting it i i i think you know his his comedy was a lot more fresh in the 80s and 90s than it reads today they're trying and and richard mazer as stan uh again another familiar face he was in my girl he was in 30 something he was uh in the thing um and and so yeah yeah, lots of you know these people were very recognizable but ultimately watching it again this time i just kind of got the impression that um I don't know. You know, TV movies were kind of a big deal. We talked about this last week. TV yeah. movies were kind of a big deal when we were when we were younger. You know, they were events. Um, they were highly publicized. Big name people, or or at least reasonably big name people, would sign on to these things. I watching it again yesterday, and and maybe it was just my state of mind yesterday. I don't know, but uh, it, it kind of seemed like maybe they were in it for the check. <laughs> <laughs> There are parts of this installment where I really appreciated, you know, the camaraderie, you know, there's, and and we'll, we'll run down the plot here in a second, but when they actually all get together for the first time after having not seen each other in almost 30 years, it was kind of nice. You know, you got the sense of these people reuniting after a long period of time and, and reestablishing their friendship and their camaraderie. And there were some good moments there. And the book is so long and there's so much detail in it. And it seemed like, whereas in the first episode, they were trying to cram so much in and it was really, really fast paced. In this installment, it almost feels like they were kind of trying to stretch a little bit to mm. get to the two hours or hour and a half or, or whatever it is. You know, as far as plot is concerned, not a lot happens. Basically, you can break down the plot as Mike has figured out that it is back. He calls everybody, which we've already covered in the first installment. And then everybody comes back, they get together, they have dinner, and then they go into the battle again. I, I mean, that's that's basically it. And so, I don't know, it just it felt a little bit like 
padding uh, yeah. for, for much of it for me. A lot of it also seemed like, again, it's just rehashing the same formula. Like we talked about in the first movie, in the first half, we, we actually were pretty complimentary about the fact that they simplified things for the TV show, that they just made Pennywise the guy. And so everybody would see Pennywise. And then by the end of it, they all realized that they all saw Pennywise, and that's what brought them together, that's what they had in common, and that's how they realized something was wrong with the town. In this one, it's the same thing again. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. Bill is the first one who comes into town. He visits his brother's grave, and what does he do? He sees Pennywise. There, He's there digging a grave. Again, he's not attacking him or anything. He's just trying to scare him. And Bill's getting his stutter back. But even that comes and goes when it's convenient. <laughs> yeah. Then Bill meets Mike at the library, and they talk. And then Richie comes, and he sees on the theater marquee, uh, you know, rest in peace, Richie Tozier. Uh, And then he goes to the library, and Mike is not there because he's left, and he has an encounter with Pennywise. Bill and Mike have this moment with Silver. And, and that was um, that was interesting. In the book, my, of course, there's a lot of stuff that happens. But Bill actually finds Silver in like a pawn shop, Silver being his bike. His bike, right. Uh, which has a bigger role to play in the book. But it was nice to see them um, kind of introduce it in the second half and then give you enough flashbacks to realize, oh, yeah, that was an important thing, too. And so Mike has had it. And he says, yep, I ran across in the pawn shop about a year ago. I don't know, something made me buy it. It's got a flat tie, but that's all that's wrong with it. But here's the real kicker. I bought this tube repair kit on impulse. About three months before I saw this bike, there was some kind of force guiding us that summer. I don't know if it came just to help us or if we created it. But maybe, maybe it's still here. That is a big part of the book. Right. A little bit more, less so in the movie, but the big part of the book is there's this sense of faith. There's this other force, this like good force. It's it's the turtle. <laughs> it's is. the turtle. I do like, you know, I like the idea of that, like you said, it's fleshed out much more in the book. And it would be difficult, really, because it's just so conceptual. But um, it, the, the fact that they at least acknowledge it in the movie is nice. To know that uh, whereas you've got this, evil force on one side that there's also kind of some counterbalance um, with something good working in their favor. And and it's, I, I did appreciate that they included that. But I mean, like I said, you know, so much of it feels like padding. Like there's literally like a music montage where Mike and Bill play on the bike. For like, <laughs> <laughs> for like two minutes. <laughs> It's forced, isn't it? I mean, it's cute, I guess, kind of in its own way, these two grown men. And and it it goes back and forth between, you know, the two grown men playing on this bike and doing goofy things and giving each other rides and, like, riding over a seesaw and all. And and it cuts back and forth to when they, you know, were kids and, and they were playing on the bike. I get what they were doing. They were trying to reestablish the connection because another thing that every time somebody comes back they make a point of how they don't remember this this major event that happened in their life with pennywise something has caused them to almost completely forget it and it's only when they get back in town that the memories start flooding back and those memories um manifest in flashbacks 
And the flashbacks are appreciated, and some of them are new. Some of them are things that we didn't see in the movie, but I would say maybe half of them are things that we already saw in the first movie. I guess if you watched the first movie and then there was a week where you had to wait for the second movie, maybe it would be nice to have kind of those callbacks. But if you were to sit and watch the thing all the way through, to me, it just felt a little bit redundant. Like, yeah, yeah, I I remember. I I saw that. (laughs) I saw that the first time around, but thanks for reminding me. It's really formulaic, and and just like you said, it's just we see everybody come back, and what happens to everybody when they come back. There's the whole bike thing with Mike and Bill, and then um, Richie in the library, and and every time you know Pennywise appears to each one of them individually, and like you said, he's not doing anything, but he's trying to scare them, and and he keeps warning them, leave, leave now. This is your last chance. You've got to go, and and this is played up more in the book too. The reason that he's not doing much to them and the reason that he's just trying to scare them and get them to go away is not necessarily because the entity is frightened of them. It's not until the very, very end of the book that the the it entity actually um, starts to believe that um, he could potentially be defeated. It's more so that because they are adults now – he doesn't have as much influence over them as he did when they were children. At some point, Henry Bowers, who was the antagonist, you know, the bully uh, in the first part, we find out that after the events of the first movie, Henry Bowers took the fall for all of the murders that, that it committed back in 1960. And he has been uh, put into a mental institution and, and he's there. And eventually, um, it appears to him as Pennywise. You helped me once. Remember, you chased those brats. Almost got him, Henry. Almost. Don't you have another chance? You gotta go back and finish the job. You gotta go back to Derry and kill them all. For me, Henry. He specializes in terrorizing children. The adults of Derry don't see him. When Richie is in the library, Pennywise uh, drops a whole bunch of balloons uh, all over the whole library. And they pop and they spray blood in the face of all the patrons and and nobody notices. It's always funny to me. There's one actress who clearly reacts to the popping of the balloon. (laughs) But the idea is that adults can't see him. Adults can't see the stuff that he does. So it's a little bit more difficult for Pennywise to get at them this time. So instead, what he does is he just tries to scare them away. And and he's almost uh, successful. When Ben arrives, he is in the taxi cab and, and he has the taxi cab pull over in the Barrens and he sees an overweight kid oh. uh, getting, <laughs> getting bullied. Um, and it's like identical to when he was getting bullied by Henry Bowers and his gang. And then again, you know, it's in the book, it didn't feel repetitive, I, I guess, because the book is so freaking long that <laughs> you kind of <laughs> forget. Um, but here it just kind of felt like you know, a repeat of what we'd already seen. And some of these scenes are kind of silly, like that bit with Ben. Oh, he gets down, he he pulls the taxi side, he jumps down to the Barrens, and oh, it happens to be that there's another fat kid being chased by some bullies. He doesn't do anything, and they push him down, and then the kid just, like, lays there on the ground, like, upset until Ben walks over. And he looks at his knee, and he's like, oh, it looks like you have a scratch there, which can't be, like, very deep or whatever. Right. And then he pulls out, like, his handkerchief 
dips it in freaking river water. Yeah. <laughs> cleans this kid's wound out with this, you know, probably getting it more infected, and then wraps it around it and ties it on there. Lucky for me, you had that hanky thing. Be prepared. Here, why don't you just keep it? <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. It's really silly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah, and then, then Eddie gets back and he goes to the drugstore to get his prescription filled and it flashes back to when he was a kid and the pharmacist, Mr. Keen, pulls him in the back and says, you're old enough to know uh, it, your mom's just a hypochondriac and she's made you a hypochondriac and all I've really been giving you is um, some water with some camphor in it to make it taste like medicine. It's all in your head. And young Eddie gets all upset and runs away, but then older... 40-year-old Eddie hears Mr. Keene feebly calling from the back room for a cigar, and he goes back there. And at first, you know, Mr. Keene is like Alzheimer's, uh, you know, he, he's he's virtually catatonic. and But eventually he starts to say, uh, it's just water, Eddie. <laughs> uh, of course, it's really Pennywise, and Mr. Keene grabs Eddie's arm, and he's got kind of this monstrous hand. And it, the message is always the same it's it's turn back it's go back get out while you still can you're you're too old you can't defeat me now um and every pretty much every one of them gets this message the one that i remembered the most um from when i was younger uh was was beverly when when she came home i i felt like her homecoming of all of them was probably the most poignant yeah it was almost like a mini episode of the twilight zone really she yeah, she goes to her old house and she sees Marsh on the on the doorbell. I mean, she's obviously lost touch with her father intentionally over all these years. She rings the doorbell and a woman answers and she says, "Well, who are you looking for?" He says, "Oh, I'm looking for Marsh." She says, "Oh, Marsh doesn't live here anymore." And Beverly's like, "But it's on the doorknob." And when she looks over, it's actually Kirsch. It's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, it was Kirsch." And the woman's like, "Oh, well, come on in anyway. I used to know your father. We'll have some tea." So she comes in, she has some tea, she goes into the bathroom and kind of revisits that. She comes back in, and the woman is serving her tea. But then uh, as they're talking, and when Beverly looks down at her tea, it's blood, uh, and which she drops it in, in shock, and it shatters, and the woman bends down to pick it up. And then when she looks back up, she's like a half-rotting or half-decrepit or whatever the face of her father, basically. Right. And it turns out it's Pennywise, and so she chases her out of there. And then when Beverly gets out across the street and turns back and looks out at the house, it looks like it It turns out it was boarded up the whole time. But I think that the reason that it resonated with me was really because Beverly, of all of them, even though they were all quote-unquote losers, Beverly was the one that really had kind of the most tragic story as a kid. I mean, her dad was abusive. Um, we see that in the movie, not as nearly as much as we do in the book. And in the book, it's implied that there's always the risk of sexual abuse. I don't remember. Yeah. Was, was, was there explicitly sexual no. abuse in the book? No, I don't. But it was, no. But the, the threat of it was certainly imminent. Like, yeah. You, you were always worried that, that it was going to go there, especially because he was always so concerned about her being around boys and he didn't want her to be around boys and, and all that stuff. And so her coming back and not only, you know, being tricked, but then kind of being confronted by this ghostly, horrific image of her dad, that was the one that 
of all of them, I felt was the most interesting. The rest were all just a little bit silly. We get a scene with Audra. She's talking to her director um, and the director's clearly like hitting on her, trying to capitalize on the fact that her husband is left and, and whatnot. But um, and instead of falling for that, she books a flight back to the U.S. She's going to follow Bill. And this is one of the things... Ultimately, okay, so both in the book and in the movie, it seems like Audra is going to come into this kind of like right in on her white horse. And it, it almost feels it feels like she's maybe going to be a hero. Um, and ultimately, I don't remember. You'll have to refresh my memory how this plays out in the book, because ultimately this doesn't pan out too much. When she actually does arrive in Derry, she's just immediately greeted by Pennywise in the form of a gas station attendant who mesmerizes her with his deadlights. And then that's pretty much it. And then she's just a victim from that point on. But I, I do know that the uh, director of the movie was, was really uncomfortable with this aspect of the movie. He didn't like the fact that Audra kind of went from gallant hero to victim in, in a heartbeat. It, did it play out in the book the same way? Well, the the whole bit with the gas station attendant was totally made up for the movie. What had happened was there were a couple people who were going back. There was Audra who was going to go back and be kind of a white knight. But then there was Bev's uh, husband, Tom, who who was much more brutal in the book, much more, like, just insanely horrible, along with, you know, Henry. and uh, And he decides to go back. And he actually ends up meeting up with Audra, recognizes her, and he's the one who kind of takes her um, and is responsible for her ending up where she does. And I don't remember exactly what happens to him, but he he ends up dead at some point, too. But he's a threat. So it's like not just is Henry Bowers a threat, but this Tom guy is a threat. And then Audra just kind of gets, unfortunately, sucked up in that very human, human threat until she is pulled down. Uh, it's basically like Tom gets mesmerized by Pennywise and then pulls her down into the sewer uh, at some point. And we never really find out how. We just find out that it has happened. So I feel like they could have incorporated some of those sure. things. And why I, I feel like there was time for it, and, and I feel like it would have added more intrigue. You know, I, I, I guess maybe my guess would be that they wanted to keep the focus on the central characters, which I understand, but it really seemed like there would have been time for stuff like that. There were some things... <clears throat> And again, correct me if I'm wrong, it's been a while since I've read it, but there were some things from the book, excuse me, that I, I kind of didn't like. And I was kind of glad that they didn't include, like, doesn't Bill cheat on Audra with Beverly in the book? Yeah, I believe that happens. And in this case, in the movie, like, the thing between her, there's kind of a triangle between her, Bill, and Ben that dates back to when they were kids. But in, in the movie, they just clear cut, like, she ends up with Ben. They left that that aspect out of it. Well, and I'm kind of glad because I remember finding that kind of in poor taste. And in, in, <laughs> yeah. first of all, you're kind of rooting for Ben because he's had the crush on Beverly from the very beginning. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, her first interest is Bill. You know, that's who she has eyes for. And, and, and eventually, you know, she, she ends up with Ben anyway, but the next scene, once all those people get back and, and, you know, Audra, we find out that Audra is coming. Then they all reunite at a Chinese restaurant for, dinner you know there are pleasantries where they all just kind of greet each other and they're joking around together i saw something today same yes. too. oh man what i saw at the library whoa was it pennywise 
Well, both barrels, it was Pennywise. He's working on us already. Trying to chip away. Maybe that means he's afraid. It. It's afraid. Oh, man. It. Help us remember, Mike. Help us fill in the gaps. Yeah, please, because I don't know what you guys are talking about. I can't remember much of anything, and when I try, it kind of clouds over. Richie, especially out of all of them, he just doesn't want to talk about it. I don't know about you guys, but this is the first time since I got here that I feel good. I mean, I feel halfway safe. Come on. Let's have a couple of drinks, huh? If you want some good food, have a couple of chucks, and let's just leave the wolf out the door, huh? Spoken like a real loser, Richie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, to the Losers Club. All right. To the Losers, the losers, the losers Club. And we just get to see them laughing and, and being friends and, and reminiscing about the not shitty part of <laughs> <laughs> It's another musical montage, right? It, it, I it think is. it's the same song, if I'm not it mistaken. Is. Yeah, as when from when they were building building the dam in, mm. in the first movie. Yeah. I have to say, like this aspect, this sort of theme, it, it does carry through well. The the idea of reuniting with these old friends, and I I actually kind of liked the, this part. Me too. Just because I think I could kind of relate. Wouldn't it be fun to get together with all of these old friends who you remember almost nothing about? And maybe you've already had this. I've had an experience like this where I've gotten together with friends that I literally had not seen since I was like nine, and they remembered things that I didn't remember, and I remembered things that they didn't remember, and we. We were just kind of swapping memories and talking about it. And it was so fun. This really kind of recaptured that in this in this grand swooping, like the camera never stopped circling around the table. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're joking around and they're having a good time. And that's nice. You know, everything has been so heavy and so dark. Um, and it's nice for them to have that light moment. And my uh, 20th high school reunion is next month. And I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. For that reason, you know, just I kept in touch with maybe five people that I went to high school with. I, I would say that this scene is probably my favorite scene in the in this part of the movie. This would be the part when on my sick day, I would wake up and then there's kind of a cool little scary part at the end and then I could go back to sleep. And again, we keep saying this. If you haven't read the book, it's fine. You can still appreciate the movie for what it is. But, you know, the book really kind of illuminates things. It's really a bigger deal in, in the book that all of them in their own right, except for Mike, who is the only one who stayed back. And that's the reason that he remembered was because he never left. But And then we get the Henry Bauer scene uh, where he's in the asylum and uh, Pennywise appears to him. Pennywise's face appears in the moon and talks to him and, and asks for his help and says, kill them all. Uh, and then we go back to the dinner and we find out that Richie and Eddie want to leave. You know, they, they've, they fulfilled their promise. They said they would come back, um, but, but that's it. They want to go home and, some people, Ben uh, and Bev, are you know a little bit. They're not angry, but they're like, "Come on, we you know we have to do this. It's us. We have to do it." Uh, but Mike says, "No, you know you. The promise was that we would come back. As far as I'm concerned, everybody has has made good on that promise. You got to do what you got to do." And then the uh, waitress brings them their fortune cookies uh, and they all break into their fortune cookies. And <laughs> every, one of, every one of them has something nightmarish in it. And each one is, is kind of related 
to the individual person. It's pretty effectively scary and they're all scared. And, you know, it was all done with puppeteers underneath uh, the table. And um, I, I thought that was uh, pretty good and, and pretty effective. Um, and then they all head back to the library. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go back to the library. And Richie, the whole time, is talking about how he's going to bail. And this is a total construct for the movie. Because in the book, really, once they all get there, they kind of all they all know there's a sort of this ominous dread. They all they don't want to do it, but they all know that they're being called to do it, and they kind of have to do it. And I think that for the for the movie, because like we've been saying, there's just nothing happens that they had to do this in order to in this was their way anyway of injecting some tension or some conflict into the proceedings was this this battle between them as to trying to convince everybody to stay and to finish the job. Honestly, when I first watched the movie and I hadn't read the book, okay, it all made sense to me. Having read the book and then watching the movie, it was a little annoying because I could see that, like I said, it was the only way they could keep this part halfway interesting, honestly. But they go to the library, and uh, Richie's being a comedian, and they call up, they're trying to call up Stan, and that's when they find out that Stan is dead and he killed himself. And at that point... Uh, they go to the fridge to get some drinks, and Mike opens it, and a bunch of balloons pop out, come out, and inside the fridge is Stan's severed head. Sorry, I'm late. Well, let's see who's here. Ba 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 Billy boy, Richie, you still here? We never expected you to stick around. Nice nose job. No one would ever suspect. Hey, Stock, putting on a little weight, huh? Speaking of dads, Bevy, yours isn't worried about you anymore. He loves your choice in men. Wheezy, how's your sex life? What's your sex life? Well, Mikey, you did it. You got us all back here. I guess it's because it's the only way you'd ever see us. Since you're so lame, you'd never leave this town. I think that's when they flash back a little bit to Bill with, with Stan a little more. Because it's interesting, because in the first movie, we really, really didn't see a lot of Stan. No, we so, didn't at all. So Bill remembers that he helped Stan get away on Silver. Again, this is almost also one of the first things we see of Silver being important, which... Honestly, they should have stuck in, I think, the first half of the movie. I don't know where they could have crammed it in, but somehow they should have made that important because the tail end of this movie really depends right, on right. understanding that. But yeah, and then um, Stan apparently saw a mummy at the old house by the park when he was out looking at birds. And This is where they kind of, they, they kind of melded some parts of the book because Stan did see something or, or there was something ominous that happened, but it was in like some sort of like water tower or something in the yeah. book. Um, and, and instead, uh, he sees it in this old house, which in the book, there was this old house, the, the house on Kneebolt street. And it was kind of a big deal. And there was, um, I, I think in the book, if I remember correctly, it was actually Eddie that, uh, yeah. visited the house on Kneebolt street. And there was this whole deal with a leper, uh, and it was really creepy and gross and they, they didn't include it here. I think because, Frankly, in the book, it was obscene, <laughs> and, and I don't think that they could include that. I don't think that they could have included that in a major TV movie. So they kind of uh, put it together here. And, and I, I agree with you that I wish that we had gotten Stan's experience in the first movie, even though the first movie seems so jam packed already. And I, I almost feel like maybe they they saved Stan's part for the second half just for time reasons. Yeah. Um, but it, it feels a little rushed and we don't get very much of it. Bill talks about how 
uh, he, he just saw Stan running away from this house and, and Stan jumped on the back of his bike and, and Bill pedaled like he'd never pedaled before. <laughs> um, and, and they flew like the wind and, and they got away. And, and you're right. That does come up later. Come to think of it, like <laughs> it, it's just really hard to get that across in a movie because still it just looks like they're just kind of pedaling through the grass. It, it, you know, the, the idea that this bike is just super fast doesn't get visually across <laughs> right yeah yeah it doesn't you're yeah, right it's a shame um and it is a shame and and something that i i think you mentioned stand by me last week and it does especially the first part of the movie has a very stand by me feel and netflix's stranger things uh has really kind of capitalized on that the nostalgia of those 80s movies that were about young people and, and friendships between young people. And, and you still – I get that sense from this movie too. But uh, it, it's just – for whatever reason, it just doesn't feel as dynamic with the, the adults. Um, and, and the director of the movie has said the same thing. He just felt like the – relationship between the kids um and and the performance of the kids was there was more magic to it than there was with the adults which is unfortunate and and i don't know what is to blame for that because it's not these aren't bad actors you know they're they're decent actors and and they're i don't know um but it it just it just doesn't have the same magic uh, as as the relationships between the kids but uh, they're 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 in the library, and after they see Stan's head, um, the library uh, kind of goes into chaos. The sprinklers go off, books start flying off the shelves, and I read that um, this was actually you know a really chaotic scene to film, and um, some of the actors were actually mildly you know nothing severe but mildly injured because things were flying around uh so much and they they did it all in one take but they just i guess they completely tore that place up when all this is happening they circle up and they hold hands and they stand in a circle and it stops and and that's kind of a a big point you know earlier bev had had flashed back to when um the balloon the blood balloon had popped in her bathroom and she had tried to clean it up herself and had cleaned it up herself but as soon as she had gotten it all cleaned up it just immediately came back and it was only when she brought in her friends the the guys to help her that it went away for good you know the message that we're supposed to get there obviously is that none of them can do this alone um they have to do it together and i guess that's what's supposed to create the tension of no nobody can leave but she can't leave eddie can't leave nobody can leave if they're going to defeat this thing um they're going to have to do it together and uh, eventually um they kind of figure that out so after the library um well belch visits henry the ghost of belch visits henry gives him his switchblade and helps him to break out of the um insane asylum that he's in or the whatever the prison um so we know that he's going to be in pursuit and then they go to the dirt dairy inn together which uh, dairy has some really nice places <laughs> like this this <laughs> This crummy little town has like the nicest Chinese restaurant you've ever seen. This lovely, yeah, and a lovely little, little bed and breakfast. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and, which they have all to themselves. It's very nice. Uh, and then Mike gives them all a big history lesson, and this is where we get kind of exposition man dumps on us uh, about the history of the town and how every thirty years or so, this this there's always a big disaster of some kind, and uh, then it starts eating children. 
Well, but that was even – I don't remember it ever bothering me before, but it bothered me this time because isn't that pretty much the exact same exposition he gave in the first movie? Like I, yeah, I understand kind – of. I understand I understand that it's – you know, it's been 30 years and they're supposed to like kind of not remember. Um, but basically he just tells the same story that he told in show and tell in his first day of school in the first movie. Yeah. Um, but whatever, whatever. <laughs> so we get the history. <laughs> There's an interesting scene um, when Bev uh, visits Ben and she starts coming on to him and telling him that, oh, yeah, I knew that you were the one who wrote that poem for me. Uh, and this is in their hotel room later afterwards. And uh, then it turns out to be Pennywise. And then um, Henry gets to Mike. And Wait, 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 wait. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you can't skip over it because it's my favorite line in the whole movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when when Ben Ben is making out with Beverly and then he stops and he's looking over uh, Beverly's shoulder and there's a mirror in the room and uh, it, it the camera pans down and Beverly's wearing a shawl but underneath the shawl you see that it's uh, the clown suit and so Ben pushes her him away um, and it's Pennywise <laughs> and Pennywise's lipstick is all smeared and he says. Me, fat boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh gosh! All right, not that that's important in any way <laughs> at all. But <laughs> uh, it cracks me up every time. So then uh, Henry gets to Mike, and uh, and Henry actually ends up dying, but not before Mike is stabbed. And so they um, have somebody come, and, and you know they take him. To the, they basically he gets ushered away to the hospital. Uh, and then Ben and Bev have another moment, and it's almost like it's daytime again. It's the next morning, and Bev comes up to him and almost has almost exactly the same interaction with him as before. And once he realizes this, he's like, wait, uh, you're not the clown, are you? You know, um, I actually thought that was kind of cool, like this this sort of paranoia, you know, that they're getting where they don't know what's real and what's not. And it's interfering with their own relationship there. I thought that was cool. But anyway, you, you kind of figure out at this point that they're going to get together. Right. Bill visits Mike in the hospital, um, and then Mike gives him these silver bullets. Apparently Mike, and this isn't part of the book, um, but apparently Mike went back at some point uh, to fairly recently, maybe, I don't know, went back to, it was, he said it was at a point where he was really low and he might as well have killed himself. He was kind of half hoping he died. Um, he went back into the sewers and retrieved the two earrings that, um, Beverly had shot at Pennywise. I'm um, just, just thinking they might need them again. And so he hands those to him. Again, we have another moment where Richie and Eddie both want to leave. And then basically they're all going to go. Like, everybody except Bill has just decided they're going to leave. Um, well, even Bill, even Bill at that point, I think they've all kind of decided to go. Um, but as Bill is, as they're all walking out, Bill is the last one to go, and he sees something that changes his mind. You know, they all talk, and, and they decide that they can't go to the police, because Henry Bauer's body is just upstairs in one of their <laughs> yeah. rooms. They're like, what are we going to do with this? <laughs> And they haven't they haven't told anybody, and so they're just going to leave. Like they're just going to leave town and get the heck out of there. But uh, Bill is the last one to walk out of the inn, and um, as he's walking by the lobby, he sees a woman and a young boy um, at a piano playing 
for Elise. We didn't mention it in the first movie, but that was the song that his mother was playing on the piano on the day that Georgie died. Bill walks out and he says, I just saw something. I have no idea if it was real or if it wasn't. I have no idea if you would have saw it or you wouldn't, but I have to stay. Um, I, he, and he says, I'm going to kill it. And it, it flashes back um, to the moment from the first movie where uh, Bill is saying to the, to the whole group, help me, help me. Um, and it's, it's just kind of a, a remembrance of that moment. Um, and they do. Everybody comes over to him and, ev- and everybody embraces except for Richie. Richie comes over and stands next to them, but he doesn't embrace. Uh, and I read that it was scripted that they would all embrace uh, in a group hug, but that the, the actor, I can't think of his name, the night court guy uh, who played Richie. Um, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he said, no, I don't, I don't think Richie would hug all of them. Um, and the director eventually agreed because now um, that Stan has died, he was kind of the skeptic of the group. But they do all the, they all stay. Then finally. it's back. Yeah, <laughs> finally, exactly. Finally. I mean, this is, this is it. This, it's like all up to this point has just been, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, I get it. <laughs> and, then, and then it's, and then it's back into the sewers. And, and this is, we're, we're probably in what the last, maybe 15 minutes of yeah. the movie you're thinking oh thank god finally they're going to get back into the sewers and then they do and it's just not all that exciting like it was it was much scarier the first time around it sure felt like it at least at least at the beginning they they go down there they're talking about actually my favorite line of the movie <laughs> my favorite line of the movie comes from Richie uh, when they're grabbing and gathering all their stuff together, he looks at them and he's like, I don't suppose anybody thought to bring anything really useful like a machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and Bev's like, oh, I've got my slingshot. And he's like, okay, I still think we should have brought a machine gun. <laughs> it's so Yeah. <laughs> so they go into the sewers and, um, you know, Bill actually finds his wife's purse there. So he kind of sees that Audra is down there. They end up in that spot where they had their interaction with Pennywise the first place. And a, a boat comes floating down. It's the boat that his brother, uh, you know, in that iconic scene, Georgie, had been floating down. And then he sees Georgie, and Georgie's like, Bill, why did you let me die? Why did you let me die? And, and they're like, oh, it's not real. It's not real. And so he picks up the boat, and he puts the boat back down, and the boat starts floating away from them. So the notion is that because he's kind of overcome his fear whatever that it's showing the way uh, well f- first pennywise appears to them as mm. the great and powerful oz <laughs> <laughs> that's right just floating up in the air <laughs> yeah just like it looks like they just had a projector that they projected on some fog it, you know it's it's kind of unfortunate special effects but uh, he he says to them you'll never see me you'll only see what your little minds will allow but it's it's not from a viewer's perspective, particularly scary or threatening. And then, yeah, Bill puts the, the boat down. The, the, the place that they're in is like some sort of impasse or, or crossroads. And there's all these different sewer tunnels. And, and he puts down the boat and the boat goes down one particular tunnel and they follow it. And you can tell if you're looking closely that like it becomes much less 
um, man-made and, and more natural looking like they're actually getting into the depths of uh, something that's that's supernatural, that's not man-made, something that's ancient. And it leads them to a little tiny fairy tale door. Uh, <laughs> Which, to be fair, <laughs> part of the book, you know, was in the book that yeah. way. Yeah, um, that's true. Bones and skulls outside the door. Um, and then, you know, beyond the door is the finale of the movie. Big cave-like chamber, and um, and then a giant spider comes out. And, and the first thing they see is this giant spider web, and it's like this. It, it's like I don't know. It, it go it, it, goes it goes up and up. up and up, seemingly forever. And it's you know, there's just this big like vertical tunnel of this spider web with bodies in it. Um, and I don't even know. I think that they see that Audra is in there. We see that Audra is in there, but it doesn't appear that she's dead. She just seems to be mesmerized or hypnotized or something. And then, yeah, a giant spider puppet comes out and I love them. You know, they, they tried what they tried. You know, it's, it's a puppet. It's a practical effect. It's, it's great big, but it, it, it just looks awful. I mean, it, it looks, it looks like, <laughs> yeah, it, it looks like something when you see it in close up, it from just a visual perspective, it's scary looking, but it doesn't move naturally. Like it, it's, it's, it, it doesn't look organic. You know, it, it looks like a machine. It looks like, or a puppet or a prop. Um, and in long shots, when we're supposed to be awed by how large it is, it looks like something out of clash of the Titans or something yeah. like that. Like it's, it's, it's not great. Like stop motion. And it doesn't even look like it's really in the scene. It looks like they did it on green screen or superimposed it on there or something. It just doesn't look good. And then, obviously, this puppet had tons of limitations because they couldn't really even do anything with it. Like, it just, it crawls out, and then it just stands there and looks at them for a while. And they look at it, and they're all scared. And Bev shoots at it with one of the pieces of silver and misses the first time just like she did the in the first movie she shoots it again and she hits it in the face like she did in the first movie but it doesn't have any impact this time around so both pieces of silver are gone so she runs off to look for the pieces of silver and then the spider just like rears up on its hind legs to expose its underbelly where its dead lights are. And these are its mystical, powerful dead lights that can drive people crazy, that can mesmerize people. And Bill runs up to it and is mesmerized and is frozen. And then Ben's like, come on, you, you have to run away. <laughs> and he runs up and he's mesmerized by it and they're just standing there. And then Richie's like, come on, you guys. And he runs up and, and then he's just mesmerized by it. Bev has run away. And uh, Eddie, poor, sweet, cute Eddie. Oh, God. And we also skipped a part that this isn't in the movie. Okay. Or excuse me, not in the book. When they're outside the door, there has to be a Hallmark moment where Eddie, (laughs) just for (laughs) no apparent reason, confesses that he's a virgin. And and, and he says, uh, I lied to you. I told you I was seeing this woman, but I've not. And I've never even been with anybody before. And Rich is like, are you telling us you're a virgin? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, well, I could never be with somebody that I didn't love. And I've never loved anybody except you guys. 
Now, maybe it's my own individual perspective. I always felt like this was kind of a coming out moment for Eddie in the I movie. Thought so like, <laughs> I thought so too. You guys. Like, I've never loved anybody but you guys. You know, and then Bev gives him a big hug like, oh, it's okay, buddy. <laughs> well, isn't there and the, there's some other hint? Inside. I think it's what um, Stan says to him. Wheezy, how's your sex life? What's your sex life? I don't know if they were trying to suggest that he was gay. Uh, first of all, in the book, he wasn't a virgin because they all pulled a train on Beverly in the sewers in the first part of the book. <laughs> they all loved each other an awful lot. <laughs> Conveniently glossed over in the made-for-TV movie. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is fine. Um, but Okay, so then the everybody bevs off. Everybody else is hypnotized except Eddie, and Eddie goes up to the spider, and it, again, it's really silly. I believe in Santa Claus. I believe in the Easter Bunny. I believe in the Tooth Fairy. But I don't believe in you. And he takes his uh, inhaler again, as he did before. He says, and this is battery acid. Now you die. And he sprays it, but nothing happens. And, and the <laughs> spider just grabs him and lifts him up in the air as he very dramatically you know, screams in agony and Bev finds the silver. She comes back around. Uh, she shoots the spider in its abdomen, which causes its deadlights to kind of explode and go out. Um, the spider drops, uh, Eddie and scampers away. They all gather around Eddie so that he can die in their arms. Uh, and then somebody says, we have we have to finish this, you know. Uh, I think Ricky says if this thing comes back when I'm seventy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't remember what the line was. But it was pretty funny. And then seriously, this is the climax of the movie, and it's so, <laughs> so disappointing. <laughs> they 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 go into the room where the spiders are treated. They literally just push it over. over. <laughs> <laughs> like a table they tip them yeah. over like a table <laughs> yeah and just... and punch its abdomen and pull out its heart and oh, it's dead and then they all they all go outside Richie's carrying well the spider web comes down and and um bill gets audra and they are you know we see them all outside and and bill's got audra and richie has brought eddie's body out and um then we get in voiceover Mike's journal epilogue. Bill with Audra. Audra hasn't been the same. She's kind of catatonic, basically. And so as Bill is loading her into the taxi to leave, he's the last person to leave Derry. He has this idea, and he goes out and grabs Silver, and he puts Audra on it and tries to... He says, uh, you know, back when I was a kid, uh, this, this bike goes so fast it would beat the devil. I'm hoping I can do it again. And as he goes really, really fast down the street and down the hill, and as the bike picks up speed, she wakes up. And this is actually, it's part of the book, too. It was really pretty poignant uh, in the book. It was a conveniently poignant way to end the movie. Well, and it just... It, to me, it felt like a lame way to end the movie. Oh, yeah. and, and you're right. In the book, in the book, it is kind of poignant because Mike explains in his epilogue that, you know, Richie went back to Hollywood and he continued to do well and he was starring in a new movie and um, he was starring alongside another comedian who, you know, looked and sounded just like Eddie. And, you know, that's sweet. And he explains that Ben and Beverly went 
home together. And within uh, a month, they were married and, and immediately pregnant. And so that that curse uh, was was off of them. And then in the book, it, it takes more time. Now, it, it would have been boring in the movie to take more time with it. But Audra is like catatonic for like months, yeah. right? Bill stays there uh, in Derry with Audra, but she's catatonic and you know, he, he, he cares for her and like, and for a long time. Um, and then the thing happens where it, right. He, he does, you know, the whole bike ride thing happens in the book. Right. Mm-hmm. But it, it just, it feels more like a payoff in, in the, in the movie. It's like, it seems like she was catatonic that weekend and then he took her on a bike ride and everything was okay. It was more poignant for me in the book, but you know, it's a happy ending uh, those who survived, you know, apparently went on to be uh, happy and and to have been released from this this curse that they had kind of found themselves involved in. But um, in the movie, you know, it's it's sweet, but it's just kind of a it's it's a little anticlimactic. It seems a little lame, yeah. yeah. And that's that's kind of a lot of the movie to the to book to the movie, quite really, especially the second half. And uh, you know, I think the we were all just universally – I remember just as much my one memory of – my. I have two memories of seeing this movie as a kid. The first memory, as I told you last week, was when I went back to school and my band teacher said, oh, my gosh, you know, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen. Like my second memory was I think that very same band teacher coming back and going, oh, God, wasn't that really lame? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it was lame to us then, and it's lame to us now. And I, the part of the problem is, it really gives the distinct impression that it was a spider all along. I mean, right, right. It, it, because you don't have all of the development that you have in the book, and because they didn't really bother to really emphasize the fact that he can take whatever form he wants. In this case, the spider was just another form he took. Because it is, it's the same in the book. They're, they're going up against a spider. But like you said earlier, it's a much more cerebral and surreal kind of like metaphysical thing, where they they kind of go beyond the spider and sort of delve into this like interdimensional thing with their minds to battle him. So the fact that it's a spider isn't such a big deal. But in the movie, uh, in the show, you just don't get any of that. You you just don't. Right. Well, and and there's so much more to it. Not only can it take any form, but uh, it's it's revealed at the end of the book that that whatever it is, whatever entity Pennywise is, is actually female Mm. and pregnant. That's right. And he goes and kills all the things. Yeah, and and also, like – the other thing is we've talked about how the town is so corrupt. And in the book, uh, again, it's just very fitting that basically the entire town of Derry just falls apart um, once it is killed. It is just entwined with the town. But in the movie, even though they did mention several times, you know, this is really a part of Derry, you don't get that whole, like, like okay, if the town's not falling apart, at least the town should change somehow. You know, there right. should be some visual, visible, some kind of change in the town. Like people are happier or things are better or something like that. Doesn't the town literally kind of collapse oh, yeah. into the ground? Completely, yeah. <laughs> the, the whole town collapses into the ground. The canal that's running under it, you know, just like comes up and there's a huge flood. And basically like every, half the town's people die. Uh, and yeah, the town becomes a giant lake, essentially. Without that, too... 
it's just it's another one of those oh there was this spider monster living under the town and we almost beat it once and then we come back and we beat around for a while and then we go down and it was pretty easy for us to beat it actually it was it's actually kind of a shame because by that point where they're going up against the spider there's no more Pennywise. Right. There's Tim no Curry's more. Curry's not even in the last 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah, and, and without that, it loses its personality. And so when they're fighting a giant spider, uh, it's not talking. There's not. So, yeah, so like it, it just seems so disconnected. And, and I think that's just part of why it's such a letdown. It just it seems like a cop out. It's not really a cop out, it's just an unsuccessful, I think, translation of the book to the film. Yeah, yeah. And all that said, as as critical as we have been, especially of the second part, I still and always will have really fond movies of this fond memories of this movie. <laughs> this uh, is the second was, time you've you've mixed memories and movies when you said this. <laughs> first time you said it's I, early here. I, <laughs> I really fond memories of this movie. I right. really fond movies. Well, of I'll this try movie. again. All right. All right. <laughs> With, all, with as critical as we have been uh, about this, especially the second half, I still do and always will have fond memories uh, of this movie. Uh, it, when I was young, I found it entertaining and scary. Um, and I will stand by the fact that Tim Curry is mm. excellent uh, in this role. I look forward to the remake. You know, the remake is coming out here in a couple of weeks. When I heard about the remake, I was excited but also skeptical because it's not that I don't think they can do a good job. I do think they can do a good job. In fact, I, I, I believe and hope that it will be better um, than this. But but Tim Curry's role is so iconic. I mean, I really feel like he's really cemented himself as in this role, especially as uh, an icon right up there with Freddie and Jason and, and Frankenstein, you know, mm-hmm. like he's, he's one of those iconic horror villains. I don't remember which Skarsgård brother it is that is uh, playing Pennywise in the new one. You know, I've seen the trailers. Um, the trailers look good. They look really promising. Um, the movie looks like it's got a good vibe. I know that uh, they, uh, have updated it. It that you know the first part of the movie, and and that's to say that we'll get a second part. I have a feeling that this first movie is going to do incredibly well at the box mm. office. So I believe that we'll get the second half, but they haven't made it yet. But uh, it it looks like it's got a really good vibe. It's it's not set in the '60s. It's set in the '80s. Uh, the first part and um, the uh, director and the the filmmakers have said that they have taken some liberties with the source material and and whereas in in the original novel it was kind of the classic movie monsters like wolfman and frankenstein that the kids were afraid of um they've kind of updated it so we might see pennywise in some different different incarnations i i really hope that it's good but i think tim curry will always be pennywise to me yeah, for sure. That's definitely our age talking, though. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Absolutely. And that's the thing. You know, I talk about uh, in the around uh, Halloween time, I do a horror fiction unit with my high school kids. Um, and I talk about this movie and I show them a couple of clips of Tim Curry as Pennywise. But it it just gets harder and harder to recommend this movie because it just doesn't play well for 
a young modern audience. Uh, it, it hasn't aged well. It, it just hasn't. So it, I, I really hope that this new version will speak to the younger generation and that they can kind of enjoy the story the same way that we did when we were young. In the same respect, the fact that it had a big impact on us, at least back then, um, obviously it was part of the times, but also maybe just if you're the right age, you know, if you're the right mindset to watch this, um, you could get something out of it. I mean, again, we were all disappointed in it even back then. But I'm wondering, you know, my wa- I'm always looking for movies I can watch with my wife because she doesn't really like horror movies. And this seems like it would be safe enough. Well, it is definitely safe enough that the two of us could watch. I'd be interested to see how she would react to it. And uh, I was also thinking, yeah, this might be a good, I don't know, first, but certainly kind of one of the first horror movies for my son to see because it's – it's got some depth to it. It's got some. It, it's 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 not a simple story, really, um, but it's safe enough, really, that 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 he might enjoy it and maybe be scared, you know, when he watches it for the first time. I don't know. It, it is safe enough in that there's not a ton of gore. There's not any sex. There no yeah. bad language. Um, so yeah. I, I, I would like to believe that it still has a place, uh, as as dated as it may be. Who knows. And and hopefully uh, one of these days, sometime in the not too distant future, we can talk about the remake um, and see how it compares. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to it too. I'm really excited. Me too. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find ninety something back episodes <laughs> on uh, Stitcher or iTunes. As always, please feel free to uh, share this with your friends. We would love also to hear from you uh, what you think of this movie or our assessment of it. And uh, if you have uh, any recommendations for movies that we could talk about in the future, let us know. Um, We've actually got a pretty good list going of uh, listener recommendations. But if if you give us something, we'll put you on the list and hopefully we'll get around to it. Until next week, I'm Craig. And I'm Todd. We're two guys in a chainsaw. Ah!